Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Alicia Shanice Reviews. I am your host. It's your girl, Shanice, coming back at you with another podcast. And today we are on episode 57. And today's topic is the BMF documentary that I have been talking about we were going to do. (laughs) Like I said, I was dropping content all weekend. I was supposed to um, come back on last night. My apologies. I had some things coming up and I told you guys I've been feeling a little under the weather this week. Just my sinuses, my allergies, nothing major. Just my allergies acting up, you know, for all the weather's changing. But um, this weekend, we're getting the BMF um, first episode, and we're also getting Raising Canaan tonight for the season finale. So like I said, I'm bringing the content. I'll be back on tomorrow with two episodes. Um, if you have stars, I suggest you have stars because at midnight, they uh, both shows will be on there. I have already seen the first episode of BMF. I went to the... Um, BMF premiere. It was here in Atlanta the other night on Thursday night. So I got to go there and they premiered the show. They put on a real dope concert. Um, Some of everybody was in there. So we'll talk about that too. But um, from what I've seen, um, this just raises the bar for stars, like for 50. Um, Power, we already know what that did. You know, I put Power season one and season two at the best but then raising canaan is something about the 80s and early 90s for me so i prefer raising canaan the best that out of the power universe so far that's just my opinion um but this series from what i've seen from episode one let me tell you this is this is t- this is top tier. They just taking it to a whole nother level. And I'm going to be here to cover every episode each week. So don't forget, first episode drops tonight. And I will come back on here for my recap of Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, and the BMF series. I don't want to spoil anything for you guys. So I will not mention anything about the first episode. I'm just going to do the recap of the documentary. Because, you know, some people never watched it or either just watched it and just wanted you know, probably in my opinions. So I'm going to just break down a little bit of the documentary and get into the show. Um, just want to shout out my normal church announcements. Uh, we'll start Snowfall back up next week and we'll do the crack documentary. I'm going to try to get that out soon. Um, I'll give you guys a heads up on that. So that's coming this week, the crack documentary off Netflix. So make sure you guys check that out. And I'm going to recap that this weekend. And then we'll start Snowfall season two um, next week. If you haven't caught up on that, check my Snowfall episodes out. I've been dropping them. All season one are uploaded now. Um, if you will be in the Roswell area or you live in the Atlanta area, my friend is opening up a spa. Doors actually open up on October 25th. So doors open up on October 25th, but you can book your appointment now. And that is Ambience Health and Wellness Spa. She will be specializing in mineral detox body wraps, vaginal steams, iconic foot baths, 
and colonics mineral detox body wraps she'll be doing um the uh, colon hydrotherapy colonics the himalayan salt and ferret sauna therapy so she has a lot going on it will be ten dollars off of any service with the flyer and you can find that let me go get you guys the website because you can book your appointment now let me get that All right, so you can go to www.ambiencehealthspa.com. Once again, that is www.ambiencehealthspa.com. Um, you can also follow her on Instagram and Facebook, and that is Ambience Health and Wellness Spa as well. And you can book your appointments now. Doors open October 25th, and that will be in the Roswell area if you live in Atlanta. I do want to apologize again if my voice sounds a little off. Uh, my allergies have been acting up, so my voice is a little scraggly. So please forgive me in advance. And don't forget, guys, if you haven't checked out that book yet, it's on Amazon, Some Things I've Been Through, a memoir by Jamil from Gully TV. And this shit is fire. And if you love the content that we get into today, he covers all of it on his YouTube channel. It's over 100,000 subscribers, and he has raw, authentic dope content, fashion, sports, and hip-hop. So don't forget to follow me on my social media platforms. Um, it's Alicia Shanice for Facebook and IG. I am boring on there, but I'm trying to get, you know, my game up on social media. I don't post too much, but when I do up, um, episodes or something like that, I'm not a big social media person, but um, you can always follow me on there for updates when I'm dropping content or vice versa. Um, you can follow all of my playlists. I have made them all public. Alicia Shanice is the channel on Spotify and all of my playlists are under there. And it's like Shanice loves. I have every genre from the eighties, from the, no, let me go back from the sixties to the two thousands. I have hip hop, R and B, gospel, country, Motown, blues, whatever you need. I got, I made all of my public all of my playlists public. So go enjoy that music. Um, if you need to um, inbox me, you know, just want to give your feedback on a pod that is near more than welcome to DM me or inbox me. Or if you just want to um, talk about future episodes or anything, any business ventures or, you know, anything at all, you can um, email me at Alicia Shanice Reviews. 13 at gmail.com. So that's pretty much it for the church announcements. Let's just go ahead and get into the show. Her name is Shanice and she's the one. Her name is Shanice and she's the one. I hope you guys are having a good day out there today. So I was able to see episode one. I'm telling you, this show is going to be so fire. Um, 
They premiered the show. The CEO of Stars was there. He came out and spoke. You know, uh, 50 was there. Shout out to 50. Curtis Jackson, he is doing the damn thing. And he said how they just have more shows to come. So they premiered the show. It was amazing. And all applause at the end. And after it went off, they put on a hell of a concert. We had 50 come out. He performed all of his top songs. I mean, he put on a damn good show. And I have to say that made up for me because I was a little mad at Fifth. Uh, Y'all know I support everything 50 do. I'm a big 50 Cent fan. Um, But a couple years back, um, when Chris Brown had went on tour, it was announced that 50 Cent was going to be on there with him. I mean, I like Chris Brown and all, but that's the only reason I bought that ticket. And then it was announced after like that, you know, 50 Cent wasn't a part of the tour. So I mean, it was a good show and all, but I'm like, I wanted to see 50. So this made up for it. I got to watch a dope ass show. The whole cast and crew was there and we'll talk about them in a minute. Um, he performed. He did the damn thing. After that, um, Money Back Yo, he came out and he performed. Then the baby came out. He performed. They both did the thing. Then Ti came out. Ti performed quite a few songs. You know, it's Atlanta, so Ti came out. He did the damn thing. Um, after that, Jeremiah came out. Flow Rider, he performed, and then actually after all of that, Snoop Dogg came out and he performed his hits. I mean, like this, this, this night was just everything. Like I was geeked up the whole night because y'all know I love me all these type of shows and just to watch it there with the cast and the crew, and it was a really dope scene. There's a lot of celebrities there that night. I mean, some of everybody there. Uh, Lil Duvall was there. He actually performed. He came up on stage and performed with Snoop. And Monica was there. Uh, I mean, it was just some of everybody there. Uh, 50 was there. Cuban Link was there. It was just a really good night. Big Meech, uh, son, uh, Lil Meech, he was there. And he's actually going to be p- playing him in the series. And he does a hell of a job. He does a hell of a job from the first episode I seen. So this show is about to get about to be just top tier. And that's one reason why I wanted to recap the documentary, kind of like we did before we started the snowfall. We covered Rick Ross documentary. Because even though um with Snowfall, everything is loosely based, but this is based off of their life. So it's gonna be much more on it, but I'm sure they have to dramatize a little bit out, you know, Meech is still locked up, I know they're working on, you know, trying to get him out earlier, so, you know, and just a lot of people's lives were involved in this, so it's probably going to be some stuff that's dramatized a bit, but I'm sure it's going to be, you know, very close to what happened, especially by he's involved, his brother Terry's involved, and also, um, you know, the family, the children, you know, they're all involved. So, you know, and you know, Fifth, he, he, how he do, he keep everything authentic. <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, before we recap the documentary, I just want to read off the cast. The cast is everything. Um, we got Curtis Jackson. He's an executive producer on there. And then starring in the show, we got um, Demetrius Flannery Jr., which is Big Meech's son. He is playing Big Meech in the show. We got um, Eminem. He's going to be in there playing White Boy Rick. 
I know 50 had already announced that he's going to doing like these little age effects. You know how they did. Um, what's the movie called? It came out last year with um, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Uh, and what is that movie? It's on Netflix, but they use like the aged effects. Um, it was based off of the Jimmy Hoffa story. I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, let me see, because I want to know that. But yeah, basically, they're going to do the age, age effect, age effects, because you know, white boy Rick, when he was out young, when he was out back in the day, he was much younger. But you know, I guess they want to just keep it Detroit. You know, Eminem is from Detroit, and this took place in Detroit. Um, let me see here. Oh, sorry for the silence, guys. I was trying to get this. Okay, and then we got Lori Walker. I know she came from Empire. I didn't watch Empire. She was like on season one. The only season of Empire I could get through was season one. We got Lala Anthony in here. I mean, you know, she's in all 50 shows. Lala's everywhere now. She's in so many shows. Um, we got Snoop Dogg. He playing Pastor Swift. We got Wood Harris. Wood Harris. And, you know, anything Wood Harris is in, I support anything. Back from the early 90s when he played in um, Above the Rim to when he played in Pay the Full to everything he plays in. And his character in this series will be very, very pivotal. Very, very pivotal. Will Harris. Um, we got Russell Hornsby. I love him. He played in Get Richard Die Trying, and he also played the dad in Lincoln Heights. We have Steve Harris, and he is Wood Harris' brother. If you guys don't, I know you guys know his face, but if you don't know his name, he played the husband in A Diary of a Mad Black Woman uh, with Kimberly Elise. So I know you'll know his face when you see him, but him and Wood Harris are actually brothers. Um, so Cash Doll is in here. They're keeping it so Detroit. So that's just the name of you. This show is going to be everything, everything. Um, even my man, I can't think of his name, but if you're my Snowfall watcher and you um, recapping in here with me, you know, the one who played Ray Ray on Snowfall, he even plays in here. I can't think of his real name right now. <clears throat> so yeah. That was just a little shout out. I'm telling you, the, the premiere was everything. The, the concert was everything. I mean, it just felt like a dope-ass night. You got to go there. It was real motivational, too, and inspiring, especially by, you know, I'm getting in the content world. And I'm writing a book. You know, that was just like an inspiring event, you know, and the show they put on. You know, they put on a hell of a concert, and we got to see a premiere in the whole cast and crew was right in front of us because we was right in front of VIP. So that was just like a dope, blessed night to be. And I enjoyed myself for sure. Um, moving on, if you want to know where I'm getting my talking, po talking points from tonight, I didn't want to send you guys to get a documentary that you have to download and pay for. And it's not on Amazon Prime anymore. So I went off of YouTube and the whole documentary is on there. So if you want to check that out, the whole documentary is on YouTube. And I want to get shout out his name just in case you want to catch it on here yourself. Um, if you just go on YouTube, I got so much stuff in my folder. 
is here. And if you type in BMF official documentary, the whole thing is on there. The whole thing It's the same one from 2012, the rise and fall of a hip hop family. It's just on YouTube. The whole thing is on there. If you type in BM, BMF official documentary, that's the one I rewatched just so I could get my talking points to talk about the documentary and stuff I had wrote down i mean stuff i had wanted to write down because i seen it years ago but of course i don't remember every little thing to cover a podcast off of it i also went to doc hicks tv shout out to doc hicks he doc hicks he is detroit grew up in he, his platform is you know detroit but he's like covers the world of course <laughs> excuse me um but he has done interviews with the the starting, you know, the starting family uh, of the BMF series, like how it all started, the origin story, per se, you know. So if you want to know anything about BMF before you get into the show, I don't know, a lot of people are like me. After you watch something, you'll be like, did that really happen for real? Or, oh, my God, I wonder how this person looked in real life, you know. So I'm telling you, go to his channel, and he has all of that on there. He got, like, the BMF series. You can just binge watch it all. <clears throat> so that's Doc Kicks. And there's so much stuff about BMF, but I just was telling you guys where I got my information from that I'm going off tonight. So... This was a really dope doc. Um, you know, it showed us a lot because it really, when you hear BMF, you kind of just think about how they were before they got locked up. But I like the show because it goes to, and I'm not giving anything away. I wouldn't do that to you guys. No spoilers. It's just, you can see this in the previews. It goes back to the origin of the story the root of everything and it starts in detroit and you see how they start off as young hustlers so a lot of people skip over that detroit scene and i'm michigan baby so i like to represent my michigan but a lot of people try to you know skip over the detroit scene and go straight to atlanta and la so the the documentary opens up and it opens up to where we see it was the feds had wire tape after wire tape after wire tape of terry terry is big big meech brother and they call him southwest t and we see that they had they had they had wire tapes of everything and we see um in the doc terry was more laid back and meech was more flashier and that was always a thing that they always talked about about how, um, you know, the two were just so opposite, so opposite. Um, let me see here. So we see <clears throat> there end up being like a paid reward for loyalty. Like their, their, their thing, it had never been done before. It had never been done before. Can you just say that? Especially like with um black mobsters or drug dealers or whatever. The black mafia family had never been done like like an organization. This was a strong built organization that went on from the 80s into the 2000s. Most stories that you know we hear about, it's either they live to move on, you know, clean their money, move away, get out the game. But the ones who we know, the Alpos and the Rich Porters, 
the AZs, the Rayful Edmonds, the, you know, all the guys from DC, the Supreme team, all of those guys, we see how their story ended. It's either they end up murdered or they end up with life in prison or they end up with the getting out after serving some time, but with having the R word on their name, you know, a rat or a snitch. And you don't really hear that in the BMF story, especially not with the, the high ups. None of them snitched. None of them went out like that. All of them took their time like men. And this was the longest black organization and how organized they was. It was something like on how the Colombian cartels would be or, you know, like the mafia and, you know, some, the mafia, their, their reign goes long too, but <clears throat> the way how they were, it was just, you know, they were basically running their own corporation, but just in the game, you know, <clears throat> I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I'm still, my voice is a little all over the place because I'm trying to get over these little allergies. So I'm sorry, my voice sound a little acky today. <laughs> um, so um, the Black Mafia family, they didn't tolerate, they went on in the documentary and they talked about how they did not tolerate jealousy. If And then we see Big Meat Cheese talking in a recording. He's like, if we had this, we had this. If they had this, they had that. We don't, we share everything. It ain't no, no need for jealousy because there's so much to go around. And they weren't even uh, a, a family that had all that turmoil. Well, it was always violence tied to their name. You know, it's some crime families. They're strictly about the murder game, you know, not to mess with them. You know, they got goons, you know, they do this. But with the um, BMF, you knew not to mess with them, of course. But all they were was about money. But they had their own, you know, they, they held their own down as well. So we see that they came from Detroit. That's where everything was started from. They went from going from like maybe 6000 a month in the early days to where they were doing 72000 a year. And then they just took off. And we see Terry was hit. They say this in a documentary that he was hit um, as a bystander in a shootout and got grazed in the eye. And it was like a straight bullet. And he had a reward cash settlement. They didn't go into detail of who he had the settlement with or anything like that, but they just say that he took the settlement and he started a Saddam service in Detroit. So it was like a legitimate front. But some of these vehicles of what he owned was pushing kilos through the, the states, you know? So that was really interesting. Um, I wish they would have went more in detail with that. Cause I'm like, you know, you don't just get a settlement from anybody. And if it was a straight bullet, I didn't know if it was like law enforcement or anything involved. So they didn't really go that far in there, but that was in a documentary. And then as they go on and it's just the dot goes on, you see they just had so much evidence more of Terry. And that was always the thing of how Meech was so flashy and flamboyant and just out there having billboards everywhere. And Terry was so laid back, real low key. You didn't see him. But at the same time, he kind of caused where everything went down with the phone conversations and his phone being tapped. And that's been going on since 
the 80s never trust the phone they have devices everywhere they hear everything so when in the 90s it showed us on how they were big time but on the cops in the dea radar they were just looked at as like mid-level drug dealers but in 2003 2004 they they started hearing stuff and they start they started paying attention more and they were hearing that terry was owning mansions in california and all type of other things meach was doing his thing in atlanta um they both had everything but by the 2000s terry was in California and Meach was in Atlanta and they had about five or six alias they were saying in several states um like before there's like you know you watch power like how nobody knew who ghost was they say like how they were running things they move like ghosts nobody even knew them you know <laughs> as far as the law enforcement but in the 2000s that's when everything got the picking up steam and they were bringing in like $1 million a year and then it ended up moving in to $1 million a week. So they was getting money, money. They was getting cartel money. <laughs> so, you know, it goes to show us in the doc how America's, American Blacks, of course, American Blacks, they don't control the market. And in the 80s, 90% of that was coming from the Medellin cartel. And we know that, you know, for everybody who's been following this platform, you know, we talk about Narcos, Pablo Escobar, the Guadalajara cartel. We talk about all of that stuff. But we know in the 80s that everything was coming from the Medellin cartel. And when they cut off those roots in the Bahamas, that's when the Medellin cartel started us. Uh, smuggling stuff through Mexico and using Mexican routes. So eventually the Mexican cartels, they took over, they took over and they started doing the full, bringing everything over here, everything. They started pushing their stuff through Tijuana, using all of their routes. So um, it goes to say, like, on how, you know, we didn't control the market, but in the 80s, you know, 90, 90% of that was coming from the Medellin cartel, 10% of Cali. But uh, when the DEA did get the cracking down and start using the Mexican cartels to move their products using their routes, that's when um, <clears throat> they start coming over here and a lot of the blacks who was hustling, they start, especially in the early 90s, they start working straight up, getting their product straight from the Mexicans because they had more people over here in the States. And the Guadalajara cartel, especially. Um, it says uh, Meech went to California and he hooked up with a guy named Wayne Joyner and he had to connect with the Mexican. And a lot of that cocaine in the 90s that was coming from California, that was coming from Tijuana. That was coming from Tijuana. Even the Benjamin Felix brothers, they they would be in uh, California sometime. I think they had houses over there. So it just got to saying how in the dock that he had good connections with the Mexicans and they end up getting that good report to where they brought them unlimited supply for substantial lower prices. So they were moving like 600 kilos per month. And most cartels, they don't trust people, you know, especially, let's, let's just keep real, they don't trust black people. 
<clears throat> you know, they, they look at the black dealers. It just is what it is. And they don't trust you with that much product. But Meacham, they build up that so much report to where they had unlimited, unlimited supply. So like I was saying, most cartels, they don't even trust one organization with that much product. Not at all. And that goes for, you know, they just don't do it. It's a big loss. If, it, if something happens, you know, that's just too risky. But with the BMF, they had all of that supply. Like they were moving like the Italian mafia, the Colombians. Like they were, this wasn't no ordinary, or, um, ordinary uh, crime family. So um, it goes to show us that that brought on expansion. It brought on expansion and they had unlimited. So Terry, he ended up moving to California. He wanted to be able to receive the bulk shipments. He wanted to expand down there and he wanted to be next to the connect. Meach moved to Atlanta. They had ideal distribution. Uh, it was the hub for all Eastern, uh, Eastern America. Um, all <laughs> had over 10 exits to the highway to get from Florida to Philly to New York. I mean, you had to go through Atlanta. So <clears throat> they had everything on lock. Like, let me get some water, guys. I'm so sorry. Yes, they had everything on lock. And it was a big enough city in Atlanta. And the, the drug movement drug movement was already so heavy that they could basically just cover their distribution. So they were living in gold. You know what I'm saying? Like they had unlimited supply. Terry was down there with the connect and he's very low key. You know, you had Meech doing his thing here, you know? So like in a way that they move was so, so just nobody knew them. And I'm talking about, to get through, just think about it. Most big crime drug dealers, they were all gone by 1991. 1991, maybe 1995 at the, the latest. I mean, come on, Freeway Rick, he got locked up in the 90s. Alpo got locked up in 91. Um, most of them went in between 87 and 89. So for them to be moving since the 86, 85, all the way to 2007, just about, come on now, they wasn't nothing to play with. You know, they wasn't nothing to play with and they had the game on lock and they were organized. They were organized. But what made BMF stand 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 out the most was Meech with his urgence, you know, his merging in with hip hop. If it wasn't for the BMF family, I don't even think, you know, no disrespect, but I don't even think you, Young Jeezy would be who Young Jeezy is today. Like, that BMF stamp that they sat behind Jeezy, that helped. Of course, he had hits. He had hits on hits. But that stamping from BMF, that stamping in Atlanta, being in those strip clubs, being, being stamped with them, that pushed him to a whole nother level. Um, also... Um, it talks about how before they even got there, you know, like I said, it kind of, the, the documentary kind of skips over the whole Detroit, everything and goes straight to the Atlanta scene, the California scene, the busted scene. So if you guys want to know the origin story of Detroit, of course, it's going to be in the show, but I'm telling you, check out Dot Kicks TV. I'll break some of that stuff down in a minute as well. So, um, 
the hip hop and emerging in with BMF, that took them to a whole nother level. And that's when a lead investigator from Detroit, he started looking into this, you know, something wasn't right. And the the organization was so strong, they knew they couldn't get undercover agents in there. So they already knew it was no way they were getting anybody in there. It It was no way. But what they did do was they were able to get the wiretapes on Terry's phone through one of his workers. They were able to move it and maneuver in that way. And then they got into Terry. And I just think that's like ironic because if you seen how Meech was moving, you would think, okay, the flashiness was doing him, but it was actually the brother who was the careful one, you know, just didn't want to be seen, just getting money. It was that phone, you know? Uh, so it was like a nationwide traffic organizations. They had stash houses everywhere, surrounded in mansions all over. So they had, that was like really like Pablo Escobar styles, like, this organization, they had stash houses everywhere, and all of the stash houses were mansions, and they were, like, all over the place. That's like Pablo. Pablo had over 400 homes. Most of them were mansions. He had some little ones, too, but they were all spread out in Columbia. So when I say BMF, like, when you think about the drug operation and just the street corners and all that, they, they, wasn't, they wasn't on that. They was not on that. This was an organized mafia family. You know, so like just for them to get that organized and we don't see that too much in the black community. Uh, that just shows you that that they, they was doing something. They was doing something right. You know, <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I am so sorry. <clears throat> so it goes to show us on even how, how they had like custom made cars where they had secret compartments everywhere. They had found the Lincoln Lam uh Lincoln Lamo that they had took in and it took them over two years to find a million dollars. They had every they had shit on lock. They had shit on lock. I mean they had every stash house was a mansion and they had in a documentary who would think to go in these mansions when these neighborhoods they, they had called a, the police on you if you're walking down the street and you just look like you're not supposed to be there but they had all these mansions and they were all stash houses and how did they even get in and get through there and most of their stuff was paid with strictly cash strictly cash this documentary was fire um, so it's, it goes to show us how in 1999, Meech met Blue Da Vinci and Blue Da Vinci, he was the main artist of BMF Entertainment. Um, I believe that Meech probably wanted to Blue Da Vinci to be what Jeezy became. Um, cause Jeezy, he, Jeezy did make some hits, you know, Jeezy ended up becoming like looking like on the outside, if you didn't know what was going on, looking like he was the rap artist face of BMF, but it actually was Blue Da Vinci. And he was the main artist. And we had the BMF Entertainment with the unified, you know, black flag. And they had everybody under this unified black flag. Crips, Bloods, GDs to go on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that just shows you how organized they were. And then on the power that they had to have. All, you know, the Crips and Bloods been beefing since the 70s, you know, and they get all of them under one accord, one black flag. Like, that was dope. 
And that was dope. And it goes to show on how smart they were, how they created alliances instead of violence. So like alliances, I'm sorry, how they created alliances instead of violence. So, you know, they did it the different way. We've been killing each other for years. That's not working. We can all come together. You make this, you make that, you know, and that made the organization grow, grow stronger, keep it moving slow, smoothly, you know. So it showed you the way, you know, violence had to get done, they get down with it, but they wasn't about that. They was about getting money and everybody around them and their family had money around them. So I did like that part. I love this whole documentary. I thought it was all fire. And it also went to go and show on how one of the reasons why they was winning too is they sold all their kilos for 17,000. So that was two to 3,000 less than the competitor. So they had unlimited supply, and then with that price they was given, that shows you what another reason on how smart they was and how they stayed on top of the game. And um, throughout the documentary, we hear wiretapes of Terry on the phone, and they listened to him for five months straight all of his phone conversations and they heard everything they were monitoring when he sent somebody to kentucky and then he directed them to get 10 kilos and they end up finding a man pulling him over finding the 10 kilos in there and they had his name on there i mean his name on the tape giving the orders um they said that they could have took him down then with the 10 keys but they like you know 10 keys that ain't nothing we could take this whole organization down so they could have got him in the first five months but that only would have been the brother terry that had nothing to do with me because by that time their organization was split. Terry had California, Meech had Atlanta, and they probably had more than that, but it was like they were separated because they were the two brothers who ran the BMF. And um, they could have had them in because they had the orders, but they wanted the whole organization and they, they weren't playing. So not one of them calls on there had Meech on the phone with his brother. And I thought that was interesting. Out of all the wiretapes, none of the phone calls even had Meech on there. Because the two brothers, like I said, they moved. Terry, he, they, they moved so different. And they had it in a documentary, even on how they moved their product. Terry was more, he would like, he liked it to dilute his product. He would reconstitute it. He would stretch it out longer. He would, you know, increase the profit. So he would dilute it down, uh, stretch it out, and, you know, that increased his profits. But Meech, he was the opposite. He didn't like to sit on nothing. He liked to move it. He, You know, they said how Terry, he was like Moet. Meech, he was like Crystal. They was completely different. And they were blood brothers, same mother and father. And, you know, I just thought that's that's crazy, you know. So um, Meech right hand man, they say his name was Chad Brown. And this is straight off the documentary that I'm going off of. Um, he was going around telling people not to buy buy stuff from Terry. And they say that Terry found out and embarrassed him. And Big Meech guy said that she should have went to him. You know, it's in the doc. And it said that that's what caused it, the riff. But, you know, with these documentaries, sometimes I don't know if all of that is true because a lot of stuff might come strictly from the, the, the law side. 
You know, so it might come from the officers or whatever. And even though they have a lot of recordings to prove certain things, but, you know, it's so many levels to the story. Like I said, if you go on YouTube, it's so many interviews of the crew, everybody kind of everywhere now. And I'm talking about like the little man. There's so many of them on there now saying who did this, who didn't do that, who didn't do this. But I've listened to Meech interviews from prison that he's did with, um, multiple people and I've never heard him say any ill will towards his brother and I never heard his brother on any interview say anything ill will towards his brother you know they're brothers they love each other and that's what they both said so like I said that was in a documentary saying on how they got into a riff over Meech right hand man you know saying don't buy from Terry and Terry finding that in disrespect and Meech saying you should have came to me. I'm sure it was way more than that. Sometimes a lot of stuff build up. And I'm sure with them doing business that long, you know, that if they wouldn't have got locked up, it probably would have went back. But who knows? You know, I'm sure it's way more to that story. But that was just in a documentary. But um, in 2004, Meech was like a public figure. You know, he was putting in a lot of money into Blue Da Vinci, millions of dollars into his career millions of dollars in his career and not only blue da vinci he had him getting few features on everybody's songs and also they was hanging with some of everybody in a documentary we see them with jada kiss with fabulous with jeezy of course with nelly i mean they was with some of everybody puffy um one of those calls recorded on there that we heard was terry and his sister and we seen and Terry, he was growing even frustrated with how flashy Meech was. But it's kind of ironic that his cause was the one getting recorded. Like, all this, the stuff he was out there doing, he was good, you know? <clears throat> they didn't have really no evidence on him. They just knew, you know, hey. But um, Atlanta <clears throat> was about to get on a Meech after a home invasion, they said. They said after a home invasion... Uh, this was in 2003. A key of coke was found. And that's when they was like, you know what? That's when they started getting on him even more. So they um, end up finding like Doc. They got Doc Marshall. He was like, if you watch Narcos, Blackbeard. The accountant, the, the number man, the guy who had all the secrets, knew where all everything was at, and his name was Doc Marshall. And they end up finding a notebook, and it had all the numbers and all the information on there. And that way, that's what helped out a lot in that invasion when they end up finding everything, and that opened up a can of worms. And that was in 2003, but it didn't help that in 2004. Um, it was a shooting at a nightclub with Big Meech, and he ended up getting into it with Puffy Bodyguard Wolf. And if you would, if you know a lot about the New York crime scene, Wolf was they say the real deal. They say real. I've I've heard that multiple times in multiple interviews. Even in the book I read by Dexter Isaac, he Dexter Isaac was a gangster out of New York, and he is locked up serving life in prison. He says that he was one of the guys who uh, did the Quad Studio shooting with Tupac and robbed him and took his story. And he talked about Wolf a lot in his book. And they say Wolf was real thorough. But him and Meech ended up getting into it in a nightclub. 
and Meech was shot, but they ultimately ended up killing Wolf. And that's where Wolf lost his life at in 2004. But he was listed, it was listed as a justified shooting. So he got off on that. Um, and then after that shooting, they got even more powerful. They got even more powerful. And like, especially not only Atlanta, but everywhere, like wherever they went, they owned all the clubs, especially the strip clubs. And then it did start becoming more violent, they say, after all of that. And in 2004, after the shooting and everything, that the world is ours, BMF billboards, that came out. And I was listening to one of uh, Meech's interviews earlier. He did an interview with Cavario. He was a New York hustler. I think he ran with Alpo now, but he had interviewed him. So I was listening to that and he was saying like he had four billboards and he did say, you know, he was asking him like, would he do it all different again? And he said, you know, I felt like if I did it all different again, I wouldn't be being me. You know, he got to, he was living his life and he said he could have been out, but he, you know, became addicted to the money and, you know, you want to take, take care of people and take care of that. But he said he could have been and had the money when it sat down, but he wouldn't have been being him. And he got his 30 years in prison and took it like a man. I thought that was very honorable and real. He also said in this interview that like, you know, now the streets ain't for everybody and everybody want to be in the streets. And that's why it's so oversaturated with rats. And even though we had rats back in the eighties and nineties, now it's like, it's oversaturated with because everybody want to be a damn dope dealer or a hustler and this, and it's not like it was no more, you know, there's no rule. There's no codes. There's no ethics. It's, you know, so I thought that was a really dope interview to check that out. It's on YouTube as well. And he, he spoke a lot of gems in there, a lot of gems. So after they had put the BMF billboards out, that's when the police just felt like, okay, at this point, they taunting them, you know, like they just like taunting them. <clears throat> and that's not the first time it happened. Of course, it's the first um, first time it happened, like in a black organization, my family, where you see the little billboards everywhere but Nicky Barnes did it back in his day too he went and put his picture on the on the magazine to I think was it oh damn we're gonna have to cover the, the Mickey Barnes documentary that documentary is fire but yeah Mickey Barnes Nicky Barnes he did the same thing when he kept getting let go he ended up going to put his face on a magazine like look at me now but that documentary is fire we'll end up covering that as well um, so moving on, they end up getting wiretaps wire on each side eventually on his side of the organization, not on him, but on his side of the organization. He, he said in the interview I watched, he didn't do phones. The phone was never his friend and he was never finna, mm -mm, the phone, nope. So they didn't get it on him, but they got it on his side of the organization and they got it in with like a high end, high end up BMF member. And they say like on how after that, that's when they end up on his side, Meech's side, they end up going down to Miami and they had a strict code at that time when they went down to Miami, they didn't talk on the phone. They never was around any drugs. They put everything in anybody else's name, but there. So like they, they was not playing no more. They had a very strict code, no phone talking never be around any other drugs and never put anything in his name 
both of their names. So that was very, that's, you know, very smart as well. But Meech was all in the, <laughs> he was all in the rapper's music videos. And the thing about it is these rappers, most of them who glorify the street life or whatever, they, they was right. They rap his lifestyle, you know, and Big Meech is highly regarded, highly regarded in the same way. I think that to be honest, they want to highly regard Alpo. I think of a lot of people could stand next to Alpo without getting that shame. They would. Without getting that shame of, oh, you fucking with this rat, they would stand next to Alpo. They would stand next, they would stand next to Alpo. But Big Meech, you know, of course he stood tall. He didn't, you know, do what Alpo did. But they 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 worship Meech. You know what I'm saying? And really, most of their raps. They're rapping his lifestyle. Most of them ain't never did that shit. They ain't never pushed no kilos and all of that. <clears throat> but they talk like they do. And, you know, when they had him in his videos or whatever, that kind of made them look more like they were solidified, you know, like Jeezy. I, I don't even think Jeezy was moving like that. You know what I'm saying? But when you get that stamp by Meech, he's, you know, stamping your name. You're more solidified. And that definitely would help his career grow. Um, so yeah, most stuff was paid for in cash. They, they had like a million here, a millionaire. They was paying $400,000 for one car. I mean, they had luxury cars. They had Maybachs shipped to them. They had shit that, like I said, the rappers won't, you know, everybody want a Maybach. Meech had all of that. And, um, he just, they was just doing the thing. They was doing the thing. And even like on, I want to say it was one of his birthdays right before, I can't remember how old he turned. He was 37 when he got locked up. And when this was like right before he got locked up, they ended up call, um, throwing him a birthday party. And it was like over a million dollar birthday party. And everybody in their crew bought a bottle in the club. And to, from watching this, you can see it. And I heard it back in the day. They actually created Make It Rain, you know, like the Make It Rain on the strippers and all of that. And how Fat Joe and Lil Wayne them had their son Make It Rain. No, they wasn't rapping nothing but Meech them lifestyle. They created Make It Rain. And what happened is that when they was really on top, even with the wiretapes with Terry, it still was hard to take that whole organization down. So what the DEA did is basically join forces with the IRS officers and they end up getting them that way. So, you know, them working hand in hand and you ain't beating the IRS. <laughs> you ain't beating the IRS. Um, so they end up tracing all of everything back to the brothers and in October 28th, 2005, the federal indictments went out and they got over 25 members of the BMF for money laundering, felony, conspiracy to distribute cocaine. And they got the two brothers, Terry and Meech, on running a continuing drug enterprise. The DEA had the wiretapes and the IRS had the laundering large sums of money. So they didn't come to play. They didn't come to play. And it goes to show us on how the undercover DEA agents, they received like approximately $300,000 in cash um, for cocaine when they was doing, you know, all of their sieges. Uh, 
They see the custom agents. They seized $250,000 in cash, but that was intended for a payment. I mean, they were finding large sums of money everywhere. And this was from different, different officers. You know, like one of them was the undercover DEA. Then they had custom agents. Then they had the, pol the regular police. Like they didn't, they didn't play. The police seized over 18 kilos of cocaine. And the list just went on. And both of them were arrested in October. Meach, he was fought, he was found in Texas. You know, he was captured in Texas. Terry was in St. Louis. And it shows in the dock a lot more people end up. And it was like the lower people, not the higher ups like Terry or his brother, Meach. I'm not saying not them at all, but some of them end up cooperating. And it was probably the lower level ones because they don't have like too many of them. It said the number, the bookman who had all the all, all the number men who was running everything, like the basically the accountant, he was like just a smart number man. They said he ended up cooperating too. But 125 members ended up being indicted and convicted out of this large, large, large organization. So in 2007, in November, they both plead guilty and both were sentenced to 30 years, which is to me ridiculous for a non-violent offense i don't see how you can go kill 10 people and do 10 years just because you cooperate but oh if you get caught selling drugs that's just the end of your life and that happened way too often and we'll definitely talk about that as we go more into different documentaries and we get the covering the reagan documentary and we get the covering you know the 1994 crime bill so <clears throat> 30 years is ridiculous because they were all Nonviolent offenses and Mitch is serving out his 30 year sentence and he gets released May 5th, 2032. He will be 64. Terry was released um May 5th, 2020, due to health reasons revolving COVID 19. You know, they were letting out a lot of prisoners. And actually, when I went to the BMF premiere, Terry was there. I think he was there. I know, I know Big Meach's son was there. I think Terry was there as well. That looked like him on the stage so i think that was him but um yeah that was pretty amazing documentary i loved it and um i hope you guys go check it out you can go more in detail and see more things that i didn't talk about um i loved it on doc kicks remember check him out he recapped the detroit scene and ed is who started meach and his brother in in the 80s he put them on he was their mentor he groomed them to be the dealers that he was and he has a really dope interview with doc kicks check that out he talks about how they got in the game he talks about how he could see the the vision and the hustler and how hungry meach was especially and i mean they started when they were like 15, 16, and even in Meech interview, he said he only had like a ninth grade education. So, and it showed you on how they even became, how they, how even before they became the BMF crew, they were the 50 boys and they were 50 boys in Detroit under ED. So check that out. I don't want to, you know, talk about all Doc Hicks content. I want you guys to go check it out. When I say it's dope, Doc Hicks TV, D-O-C, h-i-c-k-s-t-v and if you go under his uh videos he has like a bmf playlist and he has interviewed all of those detroit hustlers who was there from the beginning before that they branched off and went to atlanta and la so that was pretty much it 
think I recapped everything, you know, like the key factors in the documentary. I can't wait to talk to you guys tomorrow about the show. I can't wait for you guys to check that out. I'm telling you, it's fire. It's fire. I'm probably going to rewatch it again tonight so I don't miss nothing and we can talk about all the key factors. So it's your girl, Shanice. I'm about to get on out of here. I will holler at you guys tomorrow. I will do, I promise you, I'm dropping two podcasts tomorrow. We about to get into our Raising Canaan document, um, Raising Canaan season finale. See how that's about to go. And then we about to get into also BMF. This is about to be our new Sunday show that we recap. You know, 50 ain't letting up. Man, we, we, we meet every week for Raising Canaan and now we meeting every week for BMF. And then as soon as BMF go off, then we got um, Power Book 2. And then, you know, Snowfall will be coming back soon, guys. I hope you guys are checking out my Snowfalls. I love Snowfall. So check out my Snowfall recaps. And then, you know, if you never watched it or just, you know, forgot you know, remind yourself about it because it'll be coming back soon on season five. Go refresh your mind and come back and listen to my thoughts and opinions. But um, sorry if my voice was a little raspy tonight, guys. My allergies are acting up, so I do apologize about that and coughing on the mic. I definitely don't want to do that. But uh, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. You guys be safe and have a beautiful night. And it's your girl, Shanice, and I'm out. Hope you enjoyed the show with your girl, Shanice.